February 19th, 1812, Adoniram and Ann Judson set sail to Burma, modern-day Myanmar, to be among the first missionaries to India. Fourteen days before they left for Burma, they were married. Before their marriage, Adoniram wrote the following letter to Anne's father asking asking for her hand in marriage. The letter read this way. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land, to her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps even to a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home to die for her and for you and for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her Savior from heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. Well, dads, how would you respond to a, a letter like that? Not a, not a normal letter, not easy words to hear. I don't know anyone that's written a letter like this. It seems incredibly strange to us to talk like this. Well, Anne's dad said, yes, the couple was married. They did go to Burma, and she would give her life for the gospel on foreign soil. Her dad would never see her again. And I I wonder as I'm reading that, and and I recommend a biography to you called To the Golden Shore by Courtney Anderson. It's a biography on Adoniram Judson and his wife, Anne, tells their story, one of the best biographies I've ever read. I wonder when I read that, what would cause a man to live like this? What would cause a man to write a letter like this to a father? What would cause a man to give his life? Literally going to an environment like this, taking a new bride to an environment like this? And as as I wrestle with that, I think the only answer is that he'd seen a king. Not like many of us, you know, a monarch in England that we saw this week, but he'd seen a heavenly king. A king who came and died on his behalf. A king who was buried and then raised from the dead. And I think of all the people in the world, Christians must be the most excited, joyous, fearless, least consumed with material possessions. We've seen a resurrection, friends. We as Christians have seen the Son of God, the King, come to this earth, die for our sins, and and, and rise again. That must change the way we live. It must change the way we think about our lives and this world and and our role in this world. I think it should cause us to ask, how would this king, the one that died and rose from the dead, how would he cause us or, or call us to live our lives for the next 20, 40, 80 years that we have left on planet Earth? Well, today there are 4,000 Baptist churches and half a million followers of Christ in the heart of Buddhist Burma as a result of Anne and Adoniram's obedience. They took the gospel to an incredibly dark place that was dying apart from ever hearing the name Christ. 
And, and I think this morning on a, on a mission-focused Sunday where we're praying as a church about partnering in Malaysia, I think it would be possible that when you hear that mission-focused Sunday, even in the way we talk about it, it, it lends to us thinking about that as a, a mission trip, right? And we can fall into some uh, corrupt thinking if we're not careful. We can compartmentalize and think, well, mission is just part of what we do. It's just part of our life. It's something we save room for in our heart and in our lives and in our time. Or we can fall into wrong thinking by programizing mission, that it's just something the church adds to its list of activities for the year, like we do VBS and Awana and missions. That's wrong thinking. We can, we can fall into the, the wrong thinking of, of, of putting it, uh, put, making it delegated to a certain few, that there are some people in the church that have a passion about foreign lands and cultures, and they're evangelistic, and so God's called those people to do mission, and we just pray for them while they're gone. All of these are wrong thinking, and I think our goal this morning as we pray that God would call us to be a global gospel people, our heart this morning, our goal this morning, even in our text and in our scripture, our sermon, has to be much bigger. Our goal has to be get bigger. I want us this morning in the scriptures, again, taking time out of the book of Mark, we're not in the book of Mark this morning, but in the scriptures, see, come to the word of God and ask, what is it? That we see from Genesis to Revelation that would be the mission of God. Big picture mission. Not mission trip, but what's the mission of God that we see throughout the Bible. Not just a verse that we refer to. What's the heartbeat of God on every page of his word? And when I use that language, mission of God, I'm meaning much bigger than just mission trip. I'm talking about why we have breath in our lungs. Why we have a heartbeat in our chest. Why isn't it that... That God doesn't just take us from this world the moment we profess faith in Christ, right? Paul says, for me to live is Christ, for me to die is gain. So if it's gain, Paul, then why hasn't, why hasn't God just taken us home to be with him the moment we profess faith in Christ and, him, and, and profess faith in Christ and repent of our sins? Why has he left us here on this planet? The mission of God. He has a purpose for us on planet Earth. So, like I said, I'm going to go cover to cover. We're going to do it quickly. So I hope you have your Bibles or at least a notebook and something to write with because I'm not going to spend a lot of time letting you turn to the Scriptures. I'm just going to give them to you, read them, and then move to the next one. So I hope you're a quick note taker. Genesis chapter 1, first book of the Bible, very first chapter. Genesis chapter 1, from the beginning, God's mission has not changed. Up to this point, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 25, God has been creating He's been creating by merely speaking words. Let there be light. Let there be an expanse. Let there be fish. Then suddenly you get to verse 26. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28. And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish. And you see how he continues, having dominion over each realm of creation. So two primary reasons I'm going to give you in those three verses, those few verses... Two primary reasons we exist from the very beginning of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. Number one, we exist to enjoy His grace in relationship with Him. To enjoy His grace in relationship with Him. 
you notice this even in the intimate language that's used here. God's been saying, let there be light. Let there be an expanse. Let there be, let there be, let there be. And then you get to verse 26 and he says, let us make. That's much more intimate. It's much more involved. He's forming and fashioning man in a way that's different from all of creation. Specifically to enjoy his glory, his grace in relationship with him. Then he says, it's really good. It's really good. He blesses them. Verse 28, it says, he blesses them. What does he bless them with? Himself. In a sin-free world as he created with no sin, it's not fallen at this point. He blesses them. And that blessing is himself to enjoy relationship with him in an unadulterated way. Perfect communion with the Father. There is no richer blessing than that. He blesses them. So here this morning, friend, if you are a child of God, if you've put your faith and trust in Christ, he wants that relationship with you. That's why you've been created, to enjoy his grace in relationship with him. You have your Father's undivided attention. There's a second reason. Look at verse 28. He made us to enjoy his grace in relationship with him, but then verse 28, to extend his glory to the whole world. Well, how do we do that? Or how are, how are they commanded to do that? You see it in verse 28. To fill the earth and subdue it. To scatter and spread his glory that we're enjoying to all of the earth. The whole planet. And don't miss that pattern because we see it all over scripture. And that's how we're going to spend our next few moments. These, this pattern that you see, right? These three things. God's blessed his people. His blessing is there for the purpose of spreading or scattering to the whole world. For the purpose of extending his glory to those places. So that's the pattern. But it doesn't take us long to mess that up. Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, a mere 10 chapters later. We're still in the first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 through 4. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Verse 4, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. Do you see the direct contradiction in Genesis 11 to Genesis chapter 1? What do you mean? Well, look at verse 4 again. Let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed, scattered, spread throughout the whole earth. This, these are two strikes against them that are directly contradicting what God said in Genesis chapter 1. Instead of spreading or scattering, they're wanting to stay. Instead of living for his glory and spreading his glory, they're wanting to make a name for themselves. Hold on to these two images because I think we find ourselves there. Wanting to stay and not scatter. Wanting to live for our names instead of his. Verse 5, as we continue. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower with, uh, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people. And they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. Let us come down and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. And then verse 8. So the Lord dispersed them from, from there all over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them all over the face of all the earth. 
So in their rebellion, in their sin, in their disobedience to the direct command of God, they're staying instead of scattering. They're living for their glory, erecting names for themselves instead of his. And so what does God do? He does the scattering. He disperses them. And so now we have people, we have a race, we have mankind speaking different languages, living all over the world that are not enjoying his grace, his glory. They're not spreading his glory or living for his namesake. So what does God do? What does God do? He calls to himself a people, a special people for his own possession that will enjoy his grace and that will spread his glory. And it happens in the very next chapter. For some of you, you don't even have to turn the page. Genesis chapter 12. God calls a man named Abram. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make, your name, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing and I'll bless all those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Watch for this pattern that we saw in Genesis one that we've been seeing. I'm going to bless you, Abram. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you offspring and you're going to make my name known to all the peoples of the earth. All the families of the earth through you will be blessed. How? By knowing me. By knowing about me and knowing about my glory. And you see the same two things from Genesis 1. Verse, uh, verse 1, go, to your, go from your country, scatter, Abram, leave what's comfortable, leave your land. And then verse 2, I will bless you, I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing as you extend my glory to these other nations. Don't stop there. I told you it's throughout all the Bible. Genesis chapter 28, God speaks to a man named Jacob. Genesis chapter 28, verse 14 God says Jacob to Jacob, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, friends, that's a pretty stout promise to a single guy, unmarried, not engaged, not in a relationship yet, and God says your offspring is going to be like the dust of the earth. God has designed this so that his people would be trusting him, enjoying his grace, and penetrating the entire world, as it says in verse 14 of Genesis 28, all the earth, to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west, all the families of the earth would be blessed because they're extending his glory and filling the earth. Well, we find God's people, Israel, in a fix. We see them in a, in a, in a difficult, difficult situation. They're fleeing from Egypt, you get to Exodus, the second book of the Bible. You see them fleeing from Pharaoh and Egyptian slavery. God's people, Abram, had been brought under slavery. And now they're at the Red Sea as they're leaving Egypt. They're up against a sea and an army behind them chasing them. And what does God do? Exodus chapter 14, verse 4. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Moses, as you're leading my people out of Egyptian slavery, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you because you're no longer going to be slaves. You're going to be free people. More than that, I'm going to bless you by, by keeping you. I'm going to spare you from Pharaoh and his army and from slavery. I'm going to bless you, Pharaoh. I mean, Moses. But in that, Pharaoh and Egypt will see my glory. As I wipe them off the face of the planet, they will know that I am the Lord God. Extending his glory, spreading his glory, even through the destruction of Pharaoh and his army. Joshua chapter 5 and 6, a familiar text for most of us. A passage that we've heard since we were kids. 
God's people are entering into the promised land. They're obeying God. They're crossing over the Jordan to go and take the land that God's promised them. The first city, the first battle that comes up after they cross the Jordan is Jericho. And you know the story. Joshua has options. There's giant walls. This is a fortified city. So their, their, their battle must first get around these walls. So Joshua could go under the walls. He could go over the walls. He could attempt to break down the walls. He could send in a Trojan horse, right? He could starve them out as they come out for food and just begin picking off their food runs. He has options, but what does God do? God tells him, hey, go get some trumpets. Go get some trumpet players and some people that will shout. And I want you to shout and play those. And the walls are going to, why does he do it that way? Why is, why is that the way God plans and purposes the destruction of Jericho? So that he alone gets the glory. You know what you didn't see the day after the walls in Jericho fell? You didn't see Israelites coming up to one another. Hey, Billy, man, that was an awesome job on that trumpet yesterday. You know, that C-sharp minor that you hit on that trumpet. Solid, bro. Good job playing that trumpet. Well, man, it was really you. That that little vibrata that you put on your shout, (laughs) that's where it was at. No, they were on their faces before God, thanking him for blessing them as they extend his glory into the promised land, a land of pagans that had no knowledge of him. The pattern is is here again. God blesses his people. They get land. They get God. And they extend his glory. 1 Kings. Again, we're walking through the Old Testament and seeing this over and over and over again. This pattern that we see. 1 Kings. We meet a guy named Solomon. And Solomon has the opportunity to ask God for anything. And what does he ask God for? Wisdom. And God grants it and blesses him with wisdom that's unequaled. Why does he do that? 1 Kings chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 1 through 9, we meet Queen Sheba, a pagan king from a pagan land. And she comes to Solomon and she observes his God-given wisdom and proclaims that his God, our God, is worthy of worship and praise. The pattern is evident again. God blesses his people, here in particular, Solomon, with wisdom, with the ability to lead Israel with wisdom. God's glory spreads to a new place on planet earth through a pagan queen, Queen Sheba, as she observes this wisdom, this blessing that God's given. Daniel chapter 3, we meet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, you know the story. Daniel Daniel shows us that these three Hebrew boys were being told, forced to worship an earthly king, an idol, a false god. And they wouldn't do it. They were committed to worshiping God alone. And so the king, even though he liked them, they had found some favor in his eyes. He was pressured into punishing them in the way that he said he would, which was a fiery furnace. And so he throws Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. And God miraculously saves them from that fiery furnace in such a way that the text tells us not even a hair on their head was harmed. God delivered them from the flames. And then Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 3, verse 29, we see the reason for it. Therefore, the king speaks up. King Nebuchadnezzar, therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid to ruin. For there is no God who is able to rescue in this way. And the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the providence of Babylon. Why would God allow these guys to go through a fiery furnace, to go through persecution like this? You see the pattern over and over again. God's blessed his people. He's rescued them from an earthly king that could destroy them from a fiery death. He's given them favor with an earthly king. He's blessed them so that his glory spreads to another place like pagan Babylon. 
You say, well, Matt, those are some great examples. You say this theme is throughout all the Bible. What about the wisdom literature? What about the poetry books like Psalms or the wisdom literature like, like the Proverbs? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's a good question. You're paying attention. I like it. I like your questions. Psalm chapter 23, verse 1 through 3, a very familiar passage to us. Many of you probably have it on your home, at, in your home, maybe on the walls. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Don't overlook that. Why does he do this? For his name's sake, he leads us. We get blessing. We get green pastures and still waters and restored souls and paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We're blessed. He receives glory. See, in the prophets of the Old Testament, even when God's people had sinned against him, even when God's people, when they were supposed to be spreading his glory to other nations, when they were, became idolaters, and begin to show other nations that they were worshiping multiple gods, the exact opposite of what God had commanded them. Look what he says in Isaiah, through the prophets. Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not of silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, I do it. How should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. So hear it again in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22 and 23. The prophet Ezekiel says the same thing to a wayward Israel. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations in which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So even in discipline, even when God would judge nations, his judgment is a grace, it's a blessing that his glory would be spread to those places and they would see his holiness, his justice, his righteousness. So God apparently has the whole entire world, nations on his mind when he pours out every blessing, every act of discipline and judgment in the Old Testament. But it doesn't stop there. As you turn your page over to the New Testament, you see the same thing. It's not shifted gears and changed in any ways. We'll hit these quickly. Matthew 24, verse 14. This good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, will be proclaimed in all the world, and then the end will come. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You've heard quoted already this morning. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Luke 24, 46. The Messiah would suffer and rise and repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name to all the nations. Acts 1, 8. You will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. You see the pattern. God blessing, God spreading and scattering for his glory, for his name's sake. It's in the Gospels. Think about even the Gospel of Mark as we've been studying through Mark's Gospel. Even last week we saw with, with Bartimaeus who was blind. He receives sight. He receives the blessing of the Lord and that his sight is restored. And what's the exact next thing that happens? Everyone who saw it, they worshipped God. He receives blessing and a new group of people are now worshipping God and spreading his glory. You see it in the disciples in a sinking ship. You see it in the resurrection of Lazarus. You see it in the feeding of the 5,000. 
You see this pattern over and over and over again. We started in Genesis chapter 1, the very first book of the Bible, that God is concerned that his glory would be spread to the whole entire world. Now go to the end. Let's go to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. This is future. This hasn't happened even for us. This is looking forward to what awaits us in Christ in the end. That's what Revelation is. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from every tribe and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Friends, what we see is this pattern from Genesis to Revelation of God blessing mankind with himself, with his presence, with offspring, with, with deliverance from persecution. All of that blessing and all of that scattering for his glory's sake, for his name's sake, it will happen. That's what Revelation 7 teaches us. It's not just a pipe dream. It's not just something that may happen. It will happen. His glory will be known throughout the ends of the earth. And so, friends, there's great confidence for us in that, that when this world seems hopelessly dark, and that's easy to see, you can turn on the news this evening and you will see that our world, our culture is running headstrong towards sin. And when this world is incredibly dark and hopeless, and when Christians are persecuted around the world, right now we could name men that we are praying for by name that are in prison and are being persecuted for spreading the gospel. When those things are apparent, friends, look at Revelation 7 and know it will happen. His glory will spread to the ends of the earth, and people from every nation, tribe, and tongue will be gathered around his eternal throne singing eternal praises blessing his name in never-ending praise for all eternity it will happen you can count on it and this is not just an idea that we see verses that we see here there and yonder in scripture it is the heartbeat of god on every page of scripture that all of creation would know and worship him for his glory and we are not the center of god's universe he is our salvation is not ultimately about us, it's about him. It's for his name's sake that he would save any. So what about us? What is the mission of God, heartbeat of God throughout all of scripture? What does that have to do with us now in 2018? Well, friends, the mission of God has not changed. It's just possible that many of us have left the mission or never a part of it to begin with. It's impossible, friends, for us to live obedient life in Christ, to live the Christian life and ignore his mission, to ignore his heart for every people, nation, and tongue, period. If, if that's not our heart, then we're not obedient because it's his heart. And so some application for us, God is radically focused on his glory, are we? And as we ask that, let's ask the questions. I'll have three that we can ask. We radically concerned with his glory as he is. Or are we back in the Tower of Babel, right? Not physically. But are we living lives where we're building a name for ourselves, not his, and we're staying instead of scattering, spreading for his glory? That's, what, that's, the, that's the mess up we saw in Genesis 11. Are we there? Have we mistaken his blessing for our hard work? So three errors I think we face in church today. And, and I say we, because church family is just confessing to you, I've been here. 
I've wrestled with these three errors, these three excuses, and so I want to give them to us, not as a guilt trip, not as some kind of like twisting your arm or guilt tripping you into doing anything, but that we would see the mission of God and, 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 and not be prone to these errors. So number one, this, this excuse, right, or this error. I don't go, I don't spread, I don't scatter for the sake of God's glory because I'm just not called to missions. I'm just not called. I think in saying that, friends, too often in, in the church today, we try to delegate between the privileges of Christianity and the obligations of it. Between the blessings of being a Christ follower and the expectations, the, uh, the commands of being a Christ follower. Well, I'm just not called. Pastor, I'm just not, I'm not called to, to go on mission. As if we need a calling. As if we need a calling to do the very thing that we've been created for. This is why we have breath in our lungs and a heartbeat in our chest. This is not something that, that, we, that we have to have a calling for. He's created us for this purpose. Extend his glory to every nation, tribe, and tongue. Well, you know, I'm praying about what God's will is for my life. Has it been lost? Is he hiding it from you? Is, 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 is he just tucking it away somewhere in a, in a corner, in some dark corner, and, 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 and like, a, like a mischievous little kid just kind of waving a carrot in front of you, like teasing you with it? No, his, his, his will has been revealed to us. I think it's just more possible that we're, we're disobeying it. Let me give you some help. He's revealed his will. Make my glory known to every people, nation, tribe, and tongue. And if you're doing that, friend, you are guaranteed to be in the center of God's will. Now, the details look different. The specifics look different, and I'm not trying to minimize the fact that there are people that are called, genuinely called, to vocational missions that would give their lives to go spend their lives permanently on the mission field. There is that calling. I'm not trying to minimize that. But every one of us have been called to have a heartbeat for what God has a heartbeat for, and that's that his glory would go to every nation. Second, second excuse or error that I think we make. I don't go, I don't spread, I don't scatter for God's glory because he's called me to give. He's called me to give. And again, friends, don't hear me minimizing the gift of generosity. That's biblical. That's right and good. I don't want to minimize that. I don't want to make little of the fact that God's placed people in this congregation that give financially in incredible ways, in huge ways, so that God's glory could be spread. I don't want to minimize that. That's incredibly important. And praise God, we have folks like that right here that give in incredible ways to spend their lives for the sake of God's glory. But we must be careful that this excuse is not a smokescreen. When we say, I don't go because God called me to give, let this be your next question. Am I really exhausting then my financial resources so that the gospel goes to the lost around the world? Am I, am I giving till it hurts because God's glory is not known among the Malay? Or whatever people group. Because if that's the case, if God's called you to give like that, then it should be costing us. Some have said that with the amount of money that it takes to fly around the world for 10 days, on a mission trip, it costs money. With that kind of money, we could do a lot of things. And I think that, I think that question comes from a good place. I think people are well-meaning when they bring up questions like that. I don't think that's a wrong question to be asking. So why not give, right? Like if, if that money that it spends, that it costs to get around the world for a 10-day mission trip, we could do a lot with that money, so why not just give it somewhere? Good question. But friends, I'm, I'm afraid that we would become so arrogant 
to think that we can just sit back and live comfortable lives while we just throw our money at the greatest problem in the entire world. That we sit back and live comfortable little lives right here in our little bubble in Franklin County and just throw coins at the greatest problem in the entire world. 4.5 billion people that don't know Christ. 1 billion of them that have never even heard his name. Let it not be said of us that we just tossed some dollars because of the way that God's richly blessed us financially with material things that we just tossed some money in a hat hoping that somebody would take it to them. We must go. I think I've already heard that our God is a missionary God. And I'm thankful that when God planned to save us, he didn't just send down a bag of gold or silver or cash or a credit card. That he sent himself. He's a missionary God. Number three, third error or excuse I think we can make. I don't go, I don't spread, I don't scatter for the sake of God's glory because I have a heart right here for home. This is my mission field, right where I'm at. Friends, I want to be clear. No doubt, God calls most of us to minister right here where we're at, right here in Franklin County. And we'll spend our lives doing that. No doubt that's the case. But here's the deal. How many of us use this excuse, God's called me to have a heart right here for home. This is my mission field. How many of us use that excuse, but we're not spreading his glory even right here? So if that's your, if that's your excuse, if that's, if that's why you're not going, who's the last person that you've led to Christ and they're now worshiping him, spreading his glory right here in Bun because you led them to Jesus? Let it not be our excuse. If we, and here's, here's where this, this excuse gets, gets so silly. is when we use that excuse with pride. God's given me a mission field right here. My neighborhood, my home, my workplace, that's my mission field. We say that with pride. We need to understand that when we're saying that, what we're claiming is that God has given us a heart for right here at home, but what we really have is only less than 1% of God's heart. God said, and we've seen it throughout the scriptures, that his heart is for the nations. That his heart is that all peoples would know him and that his glory would extend to all families of the earth. And so what we're saying when we say that this is my mission field, this is where my heart's at, is that I have less than 1% of God's heart. I have a heart right here for home. What we're saying is, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm one of God's people. I want to have the heart of God. But in reality, I'm only concerned for less than 1% of what God's concerned for. No, we must strive for the conversion of the lost in every land. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue. That's not limited to here at home. It includes it, but it's not limited to right here at home. So as we live day by day, today, tomorrow, next week, next month, remember what we've seen in the text. That we've been blessed financially. We've been blessed materialistically. We've been blessed as a free nation that we can gather and do what we're doing right now without threat of our lives. We've been blessed most importantly in, with the gospel That we've heard the good news that Christ has died for sins. He has bought our redemption. That he has risen from the dead. We've been entrusted this great news. We've been blessed, friends. And as we've been blessed, we've been blessed to scatter, to go to every place. Whether that's a grocery store, whether that's our workplace, whether that's Baltimore, whether that's Malaysia. We've been blessed to scatter and to take his glory to the entire world. So what does that mean for us as a church? What does that mean as we look to Malaysia? Well, real quickly... Again, getting this real practical for us as a church. We'll continue to partner in Lamino Town, Uganda. We'll be taking trips every other year there, as has been our custom. 
Our next trip will be uh, 2020, and, uh, and we'll continue to do that. But we're starting a partnership in Malaysia, in the country of Malaysia. In particular, we're striving, we're praying for, we're working for the gospel to get to the Malay people. I want to be real clear about what that is. The Malay people are the indigenous people of Malaysia. Malaysia is made up like the United States with a lot of other folks, Chinese, Indians, immigrant workers from all over the place, Thailand, Singapore. The Malay people are the people that are born into the country. They're indigenous Malay people. And by birth, here's what's key, by birth, they're required to be Muslim. It's illegal for them to convert. And so what we're praying is that God would use Poplar Spring and some other churches that we're in alliance with to reach the Malay. Because here's the reality. There are 17 million, among the Malay, the indigenous people of Malaysia, there are 17 million Muslims and 100 known Christians. Break that number down for you. I'm not real good at math, but I had David Amos help me. So that's 0.000058 of a percent. Christian. That's incredible lostness. That, that, that is a massive number of men and women, boys and girls that are dying every day and they've never heard of the good news of Jesus. And friends, that's unacceptable. It has to be unacceptable for us. So watch this short video and then I'll come back and make some real quick points of application. How do we engage here? So real quickly, church family, three things that I think our Malaysia partnership would entail. One, prayer. Every week in our bulletins, you see a section at the bottom that says praying for the nations, prayer for the nations. Uh, in that section, starting in August, we'll include a state from Malaysia. There are many states in Malaysia, and every week we'll be given a specific state and how we can pray for the particular needs of that state, praying that God would save those in that state, that the Malay people there would be reached with the gospel, and God would use us in that process. Additionally, uh, in your bulletins today, you see there's a handout that talks about persecution in Malaysia. Um, let me just throw out a quick side note. Um, for us as Americans, as people that would come as missionaries, there's no threat of persecution for you. Um, your lives are not at risk. The worst that would happen would be that they would deport us and make us leave the country. Uh, but for them, for the Malay, for the indigenous Malay people that are Muslim by birth, there is the risk of persecution. Uh, and so you see a little bit about that on your sheet. I, I would ask you to pray. And pray daily for them. And in particular, you see on the back of that sheet is a, a write-up about Pastor Raymond. I won't go into the details of his story. He's a, a, a pastor that was converted as he was a Muslim background, convert to, uh, convert to Christianity, and now is a pastor. And uh, he was abducted, um, the family believes, by the government uh, because of his conversion and the way that he's preaching the gospel. And last month in our meeting that we went to in Nashville, David Amos, myself, and, and Michael, uh, we heard from his wife, Susanna, uh, Pastor Raymond's wife, Susanna, and son named Jonathan. They were with us in the meeting and called us to pray. And, and they ended the meeting by praying for us. And, and talk about incredibly convicting and humbling when you have a, a wife whose husband's been abducted because he's preaching the gospel and a, a son whose father's been abducted for preaching the gospel. And they pray for us as Christians in America that we wouldn't waste our freedom. And we wouldn't waste the freedom we've been given, but we would boldly proclaim it to the whole world. That's convicting, church family. And so pray for Pastor Raymond. They asked us, get this, they asked us not to pray that, that persecution would end. But that even if persecution continued, that, that Christians there would boldly proclaim Christ and the gospel even in the face of persecution. That they wouldn't cower in corners. 
And so pray for them. The second thing I think that we have to see as a church as we're partnering in Malaysia is that we're called to go. Going to Malaysia looks different from Uganda or Baltimore in several ways. I'll, I'll real quickly mention this. Uganda, many of you have been on those trips. Several from our church have been. Uganda is kind of a Swiss army knife. Like we do construction teams and we do medical teams and pharmacy and we have orphanage, an orphanage there that we partner with. We have village evangelism where we go hut to hut and share the gospel. This trip is different. This trip that we would be doing is different in that our primary objective there is evangelism. And that looks different in different ways. Um, we, we, we may go into coffee shops and just sit at a coffee shop and, uh, and people walk in. Malay guys and, and ladies walk in. They say, hey, you like you're from the United States or you're an American. Do you mind if I sit and we can practice my English? Because they want to learn English. So you say, sure, go ahead, have a seat. By the way, if we're going to practice English, can we talk about religion? Because I'm interested in religion. <laughs> you get to share the gospel with them. and They're a captive audience. And they're the one that's initiating the conversation. It's an incredible thing. You may be uh, doing uh, some fishing out there. They have a, an outfitter at the IMB, the International Mission Board, where they have a fishing outpost, just like you would pay for a fishing tour. And they're doing that so that they have a, a captive audience on the water in the ocean for six hours in a boat. Uh, you could be a part of them. Share your story. Share, share how Jesus changed your life in a way that they can't relate to in the Quran, worshiping a false god. It may look like baseball. Baseball has been a recent thing for the people of Malaysia. They're kind of late to the party with you know, America's favorite pastime. And uh, they want to learn the sport of baseball. So it may like like us going and, and putting on a baseball clinic so that we can share the gospel with them. There's different ways that it looks. But primarily our purpose is, is, is sharing the gospel. And so I realize there's some training that's going to come with that. Teams that are sent can, can do some training where they learn how to take the Quran and show them that it's, that it's faulty. It's, it's erroneous. It's, it's corrupt. And what they really need is the gospel of Christ. So there's some training that we would do. There's also the opportunity for us to send somebody who may not be as... As, as seasoned in sharing their faith and sharing the gospel and partnering them with somebody that is. Those kind of things can happen. But because this trip is different, let me just mention this to you. This is a closed country. And it's closed to share the gospel with the Malay. Again, not at our risk, but at theirs. And so this trip is different in that we just can't put on the internet, hey, come sign up for our Malaysia mission trip. We have to keep this thing a little bit more on wraps. And so the reason that we went to Nashville last month was to meet 11 or 12 other churches that are praying to the same end. Some of those churches already have families that live there permanently, full-time, as missionaries. And so the reason we have this alliance, this Malaysia Church Alliance, is we have a password-protected online database where our church can list. We're going to Malaysia summer 2019. We have 12 spots, and right now only eight of them are filled. And so church in Tennessee may say, hey, we've got two that want to go with you. We'll send them, and they can partner with you. Or it works the opposite way, too. Uh, Ricky Bridgers may come and say, hey, Matt, I'd love to go to Malaysia, but the date doesn't work for my work schedule. But I, but I know God's called me to do it. We go into this database and say, hey, look, there's a church from Alabama that's part of this alliance with us. They're sending a team. We're going to partner Ryan Griffin and, and Ricky Bridgers with this team, and we're going to send our members with them. And so that's why that exists, because it's having to be done on a, a security-based level. And so that's, that's sort of how this works. And so here's my hope and my prayer as, as, our, as, your, as one of your pastors is that a couple years from now, that as we're having conversations about this in a couple years, we look back and, and, and say, it's not uncommon for us to on any given Sunday have a couple families over in Malaysia. This Sunday, the, you know, let's pray church family because the Lawings are over in Malaysia this week. A month or two later, let's pray this, this week because the Bradfords and the Brantleys are over in Malaysia this week. 
And that we're, the frequency of our trips are happening more and more because of this partnership that we're a part of. And then, it, and then it just becomes a part of our vocabulary, a part of our conversation in Sunday school classes and growth groups that, that Malaysia is sort of just our home away from home. That it's not uncommon to hear any given Sunday that a family's there serving the Lord this week. And so that's, that's how this is a little bit different from Uganda. And, and, and here's ultimately what I'm praying is that some of us, some of you, would fall so in love with the people of Malaysia, with the, with the country of Malaysia, that you would pray about, how do you, how do you get to spend a year there? How do I take a sabbatical from work and spend a year there as a midterm missionary, working with the families that are already there from other churches permanently? Or, or how do I leverage my retirement so that I can retire and go over there and, and live permanently with these other families that are there for the spread of the gospel in Malaysia? Or, or how do I leverage my training, maybe my college degree or my vocation, what I've been doing as an engineer or as a nurse? How do I take a job there like I've been doing here for 20 years? Because here's the reality. This is, this, is, this is where I love this. In a closed country, in a Muslim country, think about the thought that you could be being paid by a Muslim company or even better, the Muslim government in Malaysia to go over there and do what you're really there for, to share the gospel with them. So they're paying you to come and share the gospel with them. It's incredible. It's an incredible thought that we would leverage our lives in that way. And so I pray that that becomes a part of our heartbeat at Poplar Spring. Last thing, third thing. Last thing, we give. We give. You may ask, Matt, wouldn't that cost a lot of money? If we had trips going or families going with other trips several times a year, doesn't that cost? Yeah. It is expensive. But God has blessed us richly so that we would scatter and spread his glory to every corner of the globe. And so, some of you may say, well, it's impossible for me. My health would prohibit me from going. I have responsibilities at home. I have an aging parent that I'm taking care of. I have complexities in my family dynamic that wouldn't allow me to go. Nothing's keeping you from going to someone in your Sunday school class saying, hey, I can see it in your heart. I can see that you have a passion for this. I see that you have a, a desire to share your gospel with the unreached peoples of the world. Let me pay your way. Let me send you in two months to go with this church from Alabama. I know that, I know that you would do amazing things for the glory of God there. And it looks like that. It looks like us giving financially to send and to go. So I pray that that would be a part of what we do here. So as our praise team comes back to lead us in a time of response, here's what I'm going to ask you to pray. One, if you, like me, need to repent of being guilty of, of, of not living for the mission of God, do that first. I've been here all week. That there are days that go by that I don't even think about God's mission globally all over the planet. That every nation, tribe, and tongue would come to know him. So first, repent if that's you. Then commit yourself to going anywhere, doing anything that God calls you to. And pray that he would make that clear to you. Pray that he'd put that burden on your heart to be obedient wherever he calls you with no reservations or hesitations. And then after we sing, after we respond in singing, announcing that, confessing that to God, David Amos is going to come for us and pray for Malaysia and for our partnership there and that the gospel would reach 17 million people that are lost and have no knowledge of Christ. So let's respond. Gracious God, we, uh, well, I think we want to start by confessing that we have missed the mark or that I have missed the mark, just as pastor said. Uh, Lord, there have been many days, many times when, when uh, I haven't been uh, thinking about your glory, Lord, your mission, Lord, the nation's um, thinking too much about myself. 
Lord, as a body, we, we want to be these kind of people. We want to be the kind of people that Pastor Matt talked about that would be uh, jealous, that would be passionate about your glory, the thing that you are jealous for. Lord, for we understand that you are a missionary God. Lord, that there isn't a, there isn't a great commission text. Lord, the entire Bible is, a, is the great commission. Lord, from Genesis to Revelation, Lord, you're making a plan fulfilling the plan, completing the plan, redeeming people, leaving heaven, coming to earth. Uh, Lord, we understand that you're not a tribal deity. You're not, uh, you're not the God of, of the white man or the American or anybody else, Lord, but of the nations, Lord. And, and then we get to Revelation that will be people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language there, Lord. And I pray that we would be a part of that, Lord, that we would be a part that we'd be able to get the glory and look around and see people from Uganda, from Baltimore, from Malaysia, and to, to glory and to think about that, uh, that, that this faith family was a part of those people coming to know you. Lord, help us not to fall in the trap of separating the blessings from you with the responsibility to you, Lord. We have been saved, but we've been saved for a purpose, and that purpose is, is to give our lives for the nations. Lord, we have an opportunity for that, Lord, with, uh, with our partnership in Malaysia. Lord, I pray that you would burden people here uh, for the people of Malay. Lord, 100 people out of 17 million, Lord, I pray that we would, we would, uh, we would reject that and we would say that's, 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 not, that's unacceptable. Uh, Lord, I pray that there would be sleepless nights. I pray that, uh, that we, would, uh, we would be burdened, that we would feel the, the weight of lostness, Lord. Uh, and that we would give ourselves to the spread of the kingdom uh, so that Malay uh, would be saved. Lord, I pray that, uh, that five years from now, ten years from now, fifty years from now, it may take uh, Lord that long. I hope it wouldn't. That we could think about the Malay people and the people group there, and that we would no longer say that they're unreached, but, but because of, uh, of our going there, Lord, the, the Malaysia Church Alliance and other things, Lord, that, uh, that it would be a reached group. Um, we, we pray that, Lord. Uh, burden our hearts, Lord, for what you're burdened for. Uh, help us to see as you see, Lord, to, to love as you love, to go as you've gone, uh, to make your name great, Lord. Um, I pray that you be glorified in all that we do. Uh, we love you. Amen.